at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, February 14th, 2023 edition. And to all of you, hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. And we all have different relationships in our life. We have relationships with our significant others, our friends, our family. But we also have a relationship with our money. Sometimes that's a healthy relationship, and sometimes that's an unhealthy relationship, depending on your habits. And our goal on this show is to help you create good money habits, good investing habits, so that your ultimate goal of financial freedom is met on your timeline. So that's something to think about. When you are celebrating, uh, hopefully with a significant other, if not, you know, maybe just a day to reflect on, once again, your relationship with your money. Now, one thing I want to get to today, or I want to talk about today, is volatility and risk. And last year was an environment of rising volatility. And for many, especially newer investors, They felt the risk that they were taking. They were experiencing the downside of taking risk. Because guess what? There's always eventually a downside when you take risk. Now you want the upside to be obviously a lot more than the downside, but that's why people don't just stick with CDs and money markets, right? They want to earn an above average return, ideally an above inflation return so that purchasing power is preserved and then grown. But a lot of people really don't understand the risk that they're taking until it's ultimately felt. A good analogy for this is when you're driving in a car, how fast are you going? Are you wearing a seatbelt? We all know the faster you go and the less less safety precautions that you have, the bigger risk you're taking. You know that. That's inherent. If you're wearing a seatbelt or not, if you have airbags in your car or not, that changes the risk that you're taking. But you don't really feel that risk until you actually 
into an accident. And how fast you're going, what safety precautions or features you have in your car, whether you're wearing a seatbelt or not, all of these play into how bad are the consequences when you get in that accident. And so the same analogy can be applied to your investments as well. A lot of times you take risk and you do well. And people believe that there's relatively low risk, especially when you're looking at a short time period. And this is why a lot of people get the idea, the false idea that there are safe equities, right? There are safe stocks. No, there are not safe stocks. There are safer stocks than others, but there are no safe stocks. And so when you are... Just, just because when you, you don't feel the volatility most of the time, you don't feel the downside like you saw last year, doesn't mean that you aren't taking the risk or didn't take the risk. Or you buy a stock, it goes up 50%, you cash out, you make a bunch of money, feels good. But you took risk. Sometimes that risk pays off, sometimes it doesn't. So I wanted to highlight that because a lot of people... don't realize the risk that they're taking until it's actually felt. Just like you don't realize the risk you're taking when driving a car until you actually get into an accident. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here on today's radio show and podcast to help you make the most of your capital and your portfolio strategies. So I look forward to this hour answering your finance and investment questions. And you can ask yours on our anytime listener line, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 888 chart Or if you're listening live during our 4 to 5 Pacific time live stream, you can call and ask your question directly to me. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888 chart Now, I have a lot of material to cover today. One is, what is the outlook for bank stocks in 2023 after a relatively rough 2022? Also, AI, what are the lessons from past technological advancements that we can learn from on the path to where AI is headed and the impact on our life? Also, what markets are struggling the most when it comes to real estate in the country? And then lastly, if we have time, we're going to touch on BREIT, the Blackstone Real Estate Trust. We also have some voice bank questions to play as well. One's regard to medical properties trust and VO, let's see, Veolia. There you go, Veolia Environmental. I also have some iTunes review questions as well. So I have all this planned for this episode of Invest Talk. So give me a call at 888 chart. Let's take a look at the market today. We're at, S&P was down about one point. So pretty much a flat day, the NYSE. That was down 27 points, minimal, a little over uh, one-tenth of 1%. And this is all in the back of the inflation data. The inflation data was 
a little bit worse than expected, right? A little higher than the market had been expecting. But a lot of this was shelter. So there's not, shouldn't be a whole lot you want to glean from this data point. Uh, and the market was kind of mixed in its reaction. So if uh, the, the, the buyers of the options to play on this data point is those those option players are out right because they're betting on volatility and you didn't get very much volatility okay so that's kind of what happened in the market today you had interest rates up a bit you had the dollar what the dollar do dollar pretty much flat uh and and market's pretty much flat on the day now the stock market is constantly changing so i'm guessing that you have at least one or two finance and investment questions that you like answered and that's all right with me. That's why we're here. You can call Invest Talk and get you on the agenda. Your question. So my phone lines are ready for your call now at 888 chart Get ready for a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. Value Investing. Positioning your portfolio for profitability, relative price, and dividend payments. The Wealth Webinar will be a crash course on how to structure your value portfolios, providing real examples with assessment tools that KPP Financial uses every day to grow clients' wealth. The webinar will be anchored by KPP Financial CEO and InvestTalk host, Justin Klein, and by KPP Financial Portfolio Manager, Luke Guerrero. Mark your calendar for Wednesday, March 22nd from 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. You are invited to a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. Be sure to tell your friends and family members it's free and you can register now at investtalk.com. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Oh, this is Mike from Maine. I'm just calling to find your current assessment of the stock, L-U-M-N, Lumen. Apparently, they got some poor guidance on Wednesday, and I was wondering if this uh, stock has any hope. Thank you. All right, looking at Lumen Technologies and... Yeah, they had a, a, a they had a an earnings announcement uh, and a cash flow projection. Their earnings announcement itself really wasn't far off from projections. They made forty three cents last quarter, down year over year, but nothing too far off from current projections. But as we always say, it's more about what they're expecting for the future and their cash flow projections for the year were much worse than the market was expecting. Now, clearly they could beat those cash flow expectations, but the market's going to adjust accordingly, and that's why the stock fell. They're, they paid off a lot of their debt so far, and that's the big positive here, is that long-term debt has fallen from $37 billion in at the end of 2017 to $20.5 billion. So they've nearly cut their debt in half over the last five years or so, and, but that also hampers their ultimate earnings projections. And earnings for next year are supposed to be only $0.34 cents per share on a 
roughly $4 stock right now. So you're talking low teen multiple for something that's shrinking. It's a bit too high and they have a lot of debt. So that's the issue here is that their trajectory has taken a, a, a stair step lower uh, than the market had been expecting. Is there hope? I think there's definitely hope. They have good assets and they've sold off a lot of their weaker assets and they're restructuring the business. Uh, you might see some data providers saying they're going to pay a dividend. Well, no, they've eliminated the dividend. So if you see that it's past dividend, it's not future dividend. They're going to be using that cash flow to pay down debt, buy back shares, not to pay a dividend. So this is not a dividend payer anymore. You really have to have a longer-term viewpoint that their ultimate quality of their assets are going to be able to continue to dwindle down that debt and that their new management team will be able to turn the company around. But that's still a big if and a big risk. So uh, will they turn around? I think they eventually do, but it's probably not going to be this quarter, next quarter, probably not even this year. Uh, but when the market does, if it ever does, find uh, confidence in that turnaround strategy, the stock will really move higher quickly. Uh, but as of now, it remains in bearish territory. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. The Puma 51 says, I was wondering if you can explain what RNPGX is. It's in my 401k. I can't seem to get a lot of information on it. Well, first off, why not? Why can't you get a lot of information on it? I hope, uh, maybe your HR department isn't giving you uh, uh, much data, if at all. Uh, because this is a very large fund, a lot it's very easy to find information on it. It's the American Fund New Perspective R6 class, and it's a large cap growth fund, and it's in an area that you should probably be underweight. Wouldn't be an area that I would be allocating a lot of capital to. Now, the good thing that I would say the best thing going forward is that about forty-five percent of the portfolio are in foreign stocks, so there's better values than here domestically, but still it's focused on large cap growth, where, as you know, being on the value side is likely where you want to be. So is it a good fund? Yeah, it's a pretty good fund for where it's at. Everything is relative. It's good for where it's at, but the question is, do you want to be where it's at? And what's interesting here is that if you actually look over the last 10 years or so, it's never been an outstanding performer in any particular year, but it's also never been a horrible performer. And so that's why over the 10-year period, it's actually in the top percentile uh, of, of returns because of that consistency. It just shows you consistency is, is certainly a, 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 an important factor, not just from year to year, but uh, over time. So I would say it's an above-average fund for large-cap growth, but how much do you really want to be allocating large-cap growth? I would say not very much. Now we're moving into a break, so hang on. We'll get to more of your questions on Invest Talk at 888 chart One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. 
You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today concerns the story behind this question. What's the outlook for bank stocks after a rough 2022? And I've said this before, but bank stocks are in their own kind of separate league when you're looking at analyzing them. Their dynamics are very different than almost every other sector. A, because it's not a physical good, right? It's a, it's a service, kind of. And there's not your typical like cost of goods sold that comes with selling a particular product. It's just very, very different. There's a lot of balance sheet shenanigans that some are correct and easily understandable. Others are more complex and maybe more opaque and just more difficult to understand. Not just how they came to those decisions, but also a lot of it is future projections. So let's dig into this. And so far this year, bank stocks have done well. But that's after a tough 2022 when bank stocks, the KBW banking index, fell 23.7% last year, where the market fell 20.7%, so underperforming the broad market. But that first lesson you should take is, that's typical. When markets are good, bank stocks tend to outperform. When markets not so good, they tend to underperform the market. So far this year, it's up 13% year-to-date. Right? Market's good. Market's not up 13%. It's outperforming. And last year, there were headwinds and tailwinds. Now, the tailwind was higher interest rates, higher net interest margins. And the negative was higher write-offs. Okay, so let's dig into these. Now, interest rates for banks are important. And the net interest income is the margin between the rates they charge borrowers on loans and the yield the bank pays out to customer deposits. Now, they had a lot of tailwinds to this last year because they have a lot of excess reserves. They didn't really need to pay a lot on their savings accounts in order to keep people there because if they lost a few deposits, it was fine because there are a lot of excess reserves, right? That's excess above what they need to have on hand. And so they weren't really competing much last year on keeping those deposits. But their yield on their loans was growing. In fact, the KBW NASDAQ Bank Index, its net interest income was up 34% between the fourth quarter of 2021 and the fourth quarter of last year. But that's kind of coming to an end this year. It's not a long-term tailwind. Why? Because interest rates have kind of leveled off here over the past four or five months. And the Fed is talking about maybe pausing over the next couple of uh, meetings. And then what you're also seeing is 
saving rates are now going up. Saving uh, payments on those savings deposits are going up because people are looking around and saying, hey, I'm only getting quarter percent, half a percent on my savings rate. I'm going to go buy a treasury or I'm going to go buy a CD at this other bank. I'm going to move it to a high-yield money market account. And so there's increasing competition between banks for those customer deposits, especially as you've seen a downtrend in excess reserves at banks. So that net interest margin is likely to shrink a bit. Now, major banks such as Wells Fargo and Bank of America, they've already announced lower than expected revenue guidance for the first quarter of this year because of compressions in net interest margins. So that is going to be a headwind. Tailwind last year, bit of a headwind this year. Then there's rising expenses. And a lot of this has to do with, once again, loan loss provisions. Money set aside to cover defaults on their loans. And they did that consistently all last year. And the big question that's on everyone's mind is they've already, they've already set aside a big chunk, right? The KBW NASDAQ bank index, the loan loss provisions were up 47% between the third and fourth quarter of last year. They've already increased it a lot. And so maybe they don't need as much going forward. Depends on where the economy goes. They've already kind of priced in a mild recession with those loan reserves. If it gets worse, obviously that's going to go up. If not, they're going to claw some of that back, and that's actually positive for bank earnings. And then revenue guide, uh, fee revenue, excuse me. That's gone down, especially at the bigger banks who have investment banking revenues because there's less M&A, IPOs, et cetera. So those are kind of the headwinds and tailwinds and a very murky picture that continues for this year in the banking sector as a whole. Overall, I'd give it a slight net positive, but not dramatically. So I don't think it's the worst sector this year, but I also don't think it's the best. Now, the next Invest Talk, the story behind this question, are municipal bonds an attractive option for income investors? We'll talk about that tomorrow, but give me a call now at 888-99-CHART ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed a hundred thousand miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it is official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life 
that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. We're going to go, go to Hayward and talk to Bill looking at Taiwan Semiconductor. Thank you for taking my call, Justin. Of course. You own it or looking to buy it? Looking to buy it. Just wanted to get your opinion on uh, it's had a pretty good run-up this year. Uh, I have a balanced portfolio with a basket of stocks, and I was just uh, curious to see if you thought uh, uh, about timing on this one, I guess. Did you see the news after hours? I did not. Okay. Well, it's down about 4% uh, on news that uh, Warren or Berkshire Hathaway uh, cut its stake in Taiwan Semiconductor by 80%. So that's number one. Number two, I urge you to go back and listen to my opening yesterday on the show. Did you happen to listen to that? No, I'm sorry. Okay. I, I encourage you to go listen to that because okay. it's, I think, one of the most important points I've made on the show in a long time. And it's in regards to supply. And a lot of people focus too much on demand and not enough on supply. And the dynamics within particular industries and companies. And Taiwan Semiconductor has been really the main supplier of independent chip foundry production in the world. For a long time. And they had a step change higher during COVID. And they invested big in new capacity. But that's all turning. Earnings this year are supposed to be down 12%. And the chips bill that just passed last year is going to mean a longer term increase in supply of independent chip foundries, independent chip production, and 
Taiwan's semiconductors lock on the production of chips long term, I think is certainly murky and potentially in jeopardy. And so I know they are investing in a factory here in Arizona. And they see the writing on the wall. They can't just keep producing chips in Taiwan forever. For political considerations here in the U.S., as well as geopolitical considerations with China. So what that means is they're going to have to invest in a lot of assets over here. It's going to mean some of their production facilities in Taiwan are maybe sunk costs and maybe unusable over time. And so I have a lot less rosy picture of this than the market does. And that's why I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> and maybe that's why Warren sold 80% of position. So I'm going to give this one a big thumbs down. There's a lot of overcapacity within the industry and the, once again, the lock on the supply is longer term uh, going to go away because there's going to be a lot of companies, Intel, Texas Instruments, et cetera, that are going to build bigger factories here in the U.S. Uh, and bring more supply, which means lower margins for Taiwan Semiconductor. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on technology. Good segue here. And let's talk a little about AI. It's AI's all over the headlines. and Everyone's talking about it. How do you invest in it? And I want to go back in history and look at various types of technological advances and how long they really took to create societal change. Now, one good example is the steam engine. It was invented in 1769. But it didn't overtake water as a source of industrial horsepower until eight, the 1830s. It took 60 years till that happened in Britain. And it took all the way until the 1860s to have an impact here in America. And a lot of this had to do with just iteration and finding ways to make it more efficient, more effective. And then ultimately it was refined enough to create mass use and, and uh, applications. And then you look at electricity. These technical advances on electricity were published around 1880. And American productivity and, and, and business actually slowed and, and, and shrank from about 1888 to 1907. And it wasn't until the 1920s to when that really took off. And look at chips, right? This, the microchip was invented in the 50s. But it wasn't really until the, you know, and, and the internet. Internet was around in the 60s. They were sending little packets of data from 
one university to another. But they didn't refine it until the 1990s. And so the gap between the innovation and eventual economic impact takes time. And capital cycles also ebb and flow. So without proper amounts of capital invested in the space, that's going to change the level of speed of advancement. And so it's, in a lot of ways, it's the J curve where it kind of slow, you know, it, it initially dips because new technologies appear and actually productivity gets worse because people are tinkering around with this new technology and it's taking away from their ability to work on existing technology that actually works, that actually has efficient applications. And eventually they find enough true applications of the technology in order to create efficiencies, to create real innovations that solve problems. And then productivity starts to grow. And it builds on, each, on, on itself. And so these changes take time. And it will probably displace some workers. But many technologies over time have displaced workers. Ultimately, it's a good thing those workers find new skills, find new ways to apply themselves that are more productive for society as a whole and themselves. And likely, higher pay as well. So... Ultimately, AI, I think, is a very good thing, and I think it's going to have a lot of great applications long-term. But this, the, you're going to see probably a boom in investment. But this is the downside of the J-curve, most likely. The first 5, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, it's probably going to be more people messing around with ChatGPT and seeing how it can write a paper and you know do these interesting things that the computer has never, had, never been able to do before. And there'll be some novelty applications of it. But the true innovative applications, the true societal, societal impact that it will have is likely many years down the line. So uh, the investment, I've seen this before. People get hyped up about it. I think of the internet in the late 90s and everyone got excited about it and there were a handful of great companies that came out of that but the vast majority of companies you invested in during that boom crashed burned went bankrupt or sold for pennies on the dollar and that'll likely happen with ai as well but definitely interesting that's for sure now let's keep things moving and pivot to the best talk voice bank for a question that came in earlier from miami hello steve and justin this is jim down in miami I'm calling with a question about a company called Veolia Environment, ticker V-E-O-E-Y. It's a French company, a mid-cap, and they pay a 3.4% dividend. Uh, they provide drinking water, and they treat wastewater, and it seems like an interesting play in the water industry. I was wondering what your feelings are about this. I look forward to hearing your response. Have a great day. Thanks. 
All right, this is Veolia Environmental. This is an ADR, about a $17 billion market cap. And you're correct, they're out of France. And they are involved in waste management with mainly exposures in France, the UK, Germany, here in the US, as well as Australia. And they do have some energy services that is exposure to Central Europe. So that's interesting. I like that what you're looking at. I like the foreign exposure. Probably gives your portfolio a bit of diversity. It's a business that has good, consistent cash flow. Free cash flow is $4 billion, trailing 12 months and going higher. So I like that. On a market cap, what was the market cap again? $17 billion? Pretty good free cash flow yield. I like it. Technicals are pretty strong. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Veolia, environmental. I like foreign exposure. And I like this kind of bread and butter business. It's an important one and vital to how society works. And it's profitable, which is important. Now, there's no denying that we're in a new market environment, and as time marches on, serious investors understand the need to adjust their thinking and strategies to fit our current times. And you know that eventually retirement day will come, but you're here to prepare for that today, to take that next step. And successful investors know you have to update strategies and adjust for market environments, changing and goals, changing financial situation today. And so if you need help understanding whether you're on the right path, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, which means you invest right alongside our clients. And we operate with the same philosophy as we do on the show, which is independent thinking and shared success. So if you want to sign up for a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go-to meeting, all you have to do is head over to investtalk.com, fill out a portfolio review form, and we will get right back to you. Or you can call our office at 800-557-5461. The sooner you contact us, the sooner you can help, or we can help, get your portfolio optimized. Now, next up, I'll play another listener question from 888 chart So hang on. Mark your calendar for Wednesday, March 22nd from 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific time. You are invited to a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. Value Investing positioning your portfolio for profitability, relative price, and dividend payments. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about the new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. It's free, and you can register now at investtalk.com. Hi, Justin and Steve. I'm calling today about Oniok, ticker symbol OKE. I've owned this company long-term, and I'm up about 20%. Thinking about consolidating and selling this company, do you think it's a good idea? Also, a follow-up question is when would you sell it? They pay out their 5.5% dividend in mid-February. So would you sell before, after, or at a certain price? Thank you very much. Appreciate the answer. Well, selling a position before or after the dividend really has more to do with what price you're, you're getting for it as well as the tax implications of that dividend. You know, is uh, Because typically the, the stock will fall whatever that dividend uh, payout is for that, that day. So that's what you have to think about more is what is the tax implication 
Is it a taxable account or not? Do you have a, a gain or a loss on the position, etc.? Uh, but when it comes to One Oak, I call it One Oak, the we actually own this for clients, and we have a value that is higher than it is today. So we're not selling it for clients. We have a higher value north of $80 per share. So it's earned $4.75 next year. Consistent grower. It's engaged in natural gas and natural gas liquid gathering and processing in the Rocky Mountain region where there continues to be growth in uh, shale. And so I wouldn't sell it. It's still paying a nice 5.5% dividend that is safe in our minds. Uh, the uh, payout ratio is you know, a little high, but they have uh, a good balance sheet and good consistent cash flow. So I'm going to give uh, One Oak a, a thumbs up. I would keep holding it at an all-time high in cash flow from operation, and it continues to power higher. And they've had a lot of um, uh, previous investments that are just continuing to come online. So I would keep it. It's OKE. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hello, Invest Talk. Mike from Texas. Calling about a small cap oil and gas company, Evolution Petroleum, ticker EPM. Ten-year average return on equity and return on invested capital is 12%. Price to sales, 1.5. Enterprise value to EBITDA, 3.1. The last earnings call, they announced they eliminated the remaining debt for the period, which was $12.3 million. They announced during the earnings call they entered into a share repurchase plan of up to $5 million. What are your thoughts on this company moving forward? Thank you, and I hope to be the 50 millionth download of your incredible show. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you for the kind words. And he's looking at EPM, Evolution Petroleum Corporation. And this is a, is a small cap, definitely $217 million market cap. So it's to earn about $0.97 cents a share next year, $0.92 cents a share this year. That's down from a dollar to last year. But trading at only $6.45. So 6.5 forward P ratio, relatively low. Here's the issue I have with it. Yes, it's profitable. Yes, it's paying a nice dividend. It's buying back $5 million. That's 2.5% of its, uh, if its market cap. Decent, but nothing to write home about. Uh, and this is a company that operates in Louisiana. Okay, It's an independent oil and gas company, primarily in onshore oil and gas production in the Louisiana's Delhi Del- Delhi? Delhi field? And it has its mineral interests uh, are in, in there, in northern Louisiana. Not typically an area that's known for a ton of oil production. It's more West Texas. But it's all West Texas Intermediate, WTI. But they're obviously making money, and that's good. Here's my issue. It's very small. It's very reliant on that one particular area of the country and production there. 
It's not very well diversified because of that. I like that it doesn't have any debt. You know, they paid off all their debt. That's smart and, and good. But there's just a lot of other names that are also trading at three, four, five times enterprise value to EBITDA. And frankly, it's a small cap, undiversified name, so it should probably trade on the lower side of that. So I like where you're looking, but none of this is groundbreaking within the space at this point. There are many companies that have eliminated a lot of their debt or most of their debt. Many companies that are trading at low to mid-single-digit enterprise value to EBITDA within the oil and gas space, which is cheap, which is why I like the space as a whole. But the vast majority of them are far more diversified. You know how many employees this company has? Eight. Eight employees. You know, in the, in the oil space or in the commodity space in general, you can find some good opportunities in the smaller cap names. But more often than not, the risk versus reward are in those mid and large cap names. Really, the mid, mid cap is probably the sweet spot for, for most because they're big enough, but and they have, but they still have room to grow. The large cap names usually a lot more diversified, uh, but that can cut both ways, right? Underperforms the good markets, outperforms the bad markets, etc. So I would be looking up in market cap, maybe not in those giant majors, but the mid caps. You know, the company's trading not at two hundred million dollars in market cap, but two billion, four billion, five billion, ten billion in that range. And you get more diversity, still trading very cheap, but have better access to capital and can reinvest in, in their business uh, easier. So I'm going to give EPM a thumbs down. But I like what you're looking at in the space. Now, lastly, let's touch on home prices and where home prices are falling the most. And not surprisingly, here in California, the biggest decline in San Francisco, posting a 6.1% decline year over year. San Jose fell 5.8%. LA, Sacramento also showing year over year declines, but you're seeing the tech hub in San Francisco, they're the ones sh shedding the most jobs and also equity cash outs for big tech companies. Those are falling, right? So all of this was feeding into higher prices in the Bay Area. And that's why I've said for two years now that as the most pessimistic on Bay Area real estate prices, and I continue to be uh, and many of the hot markets also uh, struggling. Austin, Texas, Boise, Idaho, etc. So very interesting housing market right now. Uh, definitely see weakness, but more of a so slog lower. And that's what you're seeing right now. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast download. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And we have now crossed up to the 49.8 million mark today on our way to 50 million probably by the end of the week so please please be sure to rate and review on itunes independent thinking shared success this is invest talk good night invest talk is a trademark of kpp financial because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. 
InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.